we'll be able to go through this together. There's not a lot of fluff this week, so we'll be able to get through this and see what the message is all about. Last week, it was John chapter 8, verses 37F, and that's just to the end of the subject material. He is a truth-telling agitator. We saw Jesus agitating the religious leaders. This week, we're in John chapter 9. And you don't see verses there, because it's all of John chapter 9. But don't worry, it's not tedious. It's very fun, and it's a good passage, so we'll get through it. The title of the message is, You Can't See Nothing When You Close Your Eyes, Part 1. But first... Let's get through He is a Truth-Telling Agitator, Part 2. Why am I calling it that? Because we need to finish John chapter 8. John 8, 48, FF. That's to the end of the chapter. So what we're going to see is how Jesus continued agitating the religious leaders. It's only three slides for the end of John chapter 8. So here we go. John chapter 8, verse 48, we begin. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. Your slides are a little bit off from mine, but it continues with, If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The most noteworthy part of this whole piece right here is that Jesus claimed his own deity. That's why they picked up stones to throw at him. Because he said, I am. He set them up so that he could give the answer, I am. Yahweh. He is claiming to be God. There's other faiths, other religions, that claim that Jesus was just a good prophet. That he never claimed to be God. But here we have again... Another time in the Gospel of John, and there are many times, where he actually claims to be God. He calls himself Yahweh. That is why, because he was speaking in Hebrew, that is why they picked up stones to throw at him. 
But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Was it because he was afraid? No, it's because it wasn't time. And it's interesting, when you saw the diagrams that I've posted up before, Jesus is inside walls within walls. But it's because of the crowds that he was able to hide himself and get out of the temple, unscathed. All right, let's move along, starting with John chapter 9, verse 1. He's really agitated these people. But as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now there's statements that are made here and statements within statements that you might miss, so I don't want to pass something up. But Jesus is clearly saying that he is not going to be around in the flesh forever on earth. And while he's here, they must do the works of him who sent him. Now, you'll see a little ticker come up on the bottom of the screen. A little red comes up, and now I'll read it with you. The time is coming when the sensational is no longer needed. If the Lord permits, we will discuss the pertinent scriptures which clarify this at another time. If you have questions, feel free to ask later. But right now, I want you to understand this is a precursor to a passage in the Bible where another, gospel, another writer that God inspired to write after Jesus had arisen and ascended to heaven. He, re- he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and then a, a writer is inspired to write that a time is coming when the church will mature enough and no longer need these sensational type of things. doesn't mean that miracles won't happen, but this is a little statement within a statement we'll talk about later at another time when we go through that particular part of the Bible. But he's making it clear, this man did not sin, neither did his parents. Now this concept is something we need to pay attention to because it's not, it's not new. In fact, if you remember in the Old Testament, when Job was going through all that he was going through, he's a righteous man, yet his friends said that this must have happened to him because of his sins. They were blaming him for his problems. And the truth is, most of the time, our problems are caused by us. We create our own problems. Even many of our own health problems sometimes are created by ourselves. We overeat, we gain weight. Those kinds of things. But the reality is, we can't be the judge of this. Job was a righteous man. His sins did not cause his problems. And Jesus is saying, well, neither did the sins of his parents. But this teaching has been around a long time. I was first introduced to this concept of people who are going through illnesses or if they're going through terrible tragedies, it's because of sin, either of the parents or of the individual. The first time it was brought to my attention, I was considered totally and permanently disabled as an outside of a small town and I was known to be one who was in the ministry but at the moment was 
in the middle of a disability. So I had met a man who was a very, a very kind man, the kind of man you've probably met yourself. This man had a bunch of animals. He had donkeys and cows and ducks and chickens, and they all had names. You know the kind. A very loving man. These were pets. This man volunteered to take disabled children. He, drove, he volunteered to drive a, a bus, a school bus, for disabled children. He was a very kind man, but he and his wife, they had a son, it was an adult son, that had a newly discovered, a newly labeled at least, um, disease called AIDS. And because it was embarrassing for the man, he didn't talk about that. He told people that his son had leukemia. I don't know if his son did have leukemia, but I do know his son had AIDS. And the man kept talking about it, that his son was dying, and his son eventually died. And in the church, which I did not attend at the time, he, people were checking on this man because this man served communion and he took up offering. Uh, he was one of those that was seen as a godly man in the church. So they checked on him. Are you doing okay? Yes, he said. I've been listening to Kenneth Copeland and it's been helping me quite a bit. And that seemed to comfort people. So most people didn't know who Kenneth Copeland was at the time. Today, we do know who Kenneth Copeland is. But I'm got a phone call when I was on the edge of town from the preacher in town. He said there was a tragedy, that he needed my help, and he would come pick me up. And they need, We needed to go to the hospital. So he picked me up, and on the way to the hospital, he explained to me what happened. This kind man woke up, fixed his cup of coffee, sat down on the couch next to the newspaper, but he didn't pick up the newspaper didn't drink his coffee, coffee like he normally did, didn't get up and feed the animals afterwards. He just sat there staring at the wall in front of him. And his wife finally asked him, are you going to feed the animals? And he kind of snapped and like, oh, snapped out of it. And he put his coffee cup down and got up and he walked out to the barn. While he was outside, his wife answered the phone. It was for him. So she put the phone down, walked outside to tell him that the phone was for him. And as she approached him, he met her and she was surprised that he was carrying a double-barreled shotgun. He raised the shotgun, shot her, and then turned it on himself. He did not survive. She did. And we were on our way to the hospital. All of this was explained to me and we arrived. As we entered her room, she was already coherent. There were no doctors with her. She was hooked up to machines and an IV, and she was fine. But as we entered the room, she asked us, why didn't someone stop him from listening to those Kenneth Copeland tapes? According to her, the Kenneth Copeland tapes kept telling him that if your children have, have problems, it's because of sins in your life. That is a teaching that Kenneth Copeland was teaching at the time, and it messed with this man's mind. And in her mind, it's what led to him snapping and doing something unthinkable if he was in his right mind. The second time I was introduced to this type of behavior where someone looks at another and they see that they have physical problems or they're having problems of some sort, and they think it's related to their sin or sin of another, was when a man, he was a very godly elder in a church, and I had met him 
when I had gone to an adult Bible study. I was a high school senior, and I didn't uh, enjoy the high school classes. I, I felt like I needed to grow a little bit more. I was planning to go to seminary, so I needed to learn more. And I went to an adult class, and it felt um, very, very much um, like it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to have any spiritual growth. It was called Chat and Chew. And what they did is they, every time they met, they'd go around the room each, and they would read scripture. Somebody would read scripture and they'd go around the room and each person would say, well, to me, this means, and they went all the way around the room and got to me. And I said, can we just, can we, can we like study and find out what, what God wants it, us to understand it means? Not everybody's opinion of what they think it means. Can we just discover what God wants us to know? And it seemed to be offensive but not to this man. This man thought, this young man wants to study. So he started a class, and he taught uh, two of us. One was a college student, one was me, and he spent several weeks, and he studied deeply, and he taught me so many things, and I admired this man. But he had a heart attack, and the class stopped, and he had to have uh, quadruple bypass surgery. He was in the hospital for quite some time, and missed church for, oh, couple of months. And when he finally came back to church, our youth minister was preaching. And as he stood up to preach, uh, before he got up to preach, uh, we announced that this man who had the quadruple bypass surgery uh, had finally come back to church. It was his first Sunday with us. We'd been praying for him. We thank God that he's been healed and that he's back with us. And as the youth minister stood up to preach, he began by telling everyone that if any of us have any problems, including health problems, it's because of some secret sin. I was appalled because it was implying to me <clears throat> that this very godly man, because he had a heart attack, he must have been doing some, something secret behind closed doors, something evil uh, for him to have experienced such difficult uh, time with his health. Jesus made it clear in this particular passage, this has nothing to do with the sin of this man or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God had a plan to glorify Jesus and himself in this moment because of this man's blindness. The text continues, verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. It's hard to believe if you think about it. This man was not just a man who became blind. This man was blind from birth. So it was very obvious that suddenly now that he can see, he actually looks different because of the way he's carrying himself and his facial expressions and his eyes are actually moving normal. So they couldn't believe it. So they said to him, And how were your eyes opened? He answered, 
The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I was washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is amazing, an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Of course they did. It's too in your face. He is a walking example of the power of God through Jesus Christ. They don't like it. Yeah, 
So now, JC, this is time for you to advance the slide for the music video, and I will listen to it as the rest of you do. Good job, JC. Uh, that's Larry Norman called Shot Down. Larry Norman passed away a few years ago. Jonathan, my son, and I were privileged to attend his funeral down in Oregon. Larry Norman is credited as the father of Christian rock. Uh, in the 60s and 70s, while bands were naming themselves things like Beatles and Turtles, a band came up called People. Larry Norman was the front runner, uh, the lead singer in that band. They had a one-hit wonder song, and the band wanted to go even bigger. Larry Norman wanted to keep singing Christian songs, and the band wanted to go a different direction. So he went on his own, did his own thing, and did many Christian songs like the one you just heard. At his funeral, uh, Toby Mac was there with his wife, a few other Christian celebrities, but not very many and a very popular band at the time called the Pixies uh, participated in the funeral via live stream video just like we're doing right now. I don't know if you noticed in that song, but he said, you can't see nothing when you close your eyes. The title of this message is that, part one. We'll have a part two later as we go through John. But the Pharisees can't see the obvious because they've closed their eyes. It's interesting. There's a man born blind that can now see, yet there's the Pharisees who can see, but because of their own self-righteousness and unwillingness to examine themselves, they couldn't see that the Messiah was right in front of them. We'll continue with our text. John chapter 9, verse 35 picks up where we left off. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. What a wonderful way to button that up. But it is interesting that we have another case here in John where someone is healed without having faith, without believing in Jesus. He was healed. All right. The text continues, John 9.39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. And they were blind. And it's clear to us that they were blind. So I've read the text. Let's talk about five motivational action items. These are for us. Let's not close our eyes to what's obviously true, like the Pharisees. Obviously, it's true that Jesus is the Son of God. He's God in the flesh, but they couldn't see it. They closed their eyes. And sometimes that's what we do. We don't want to know the truth. So we close our eyes. Let's not do that. Second, let's not be overly critical of others, overlooking our own shortcomings. The Pharisees were so quick to be judgmental and critical of others, they couldn't self-evaluate. They couldn't look at themselves and see they were the ones in the wrong. They're too busy trying to criticize Jesus. He did this on the Sabbath. This is the second time he did something on the Sabbath, a miracle. But because it was done on the Sabbath, it bothered them. They weren't focused on these miraculous things that, no, that only God could do. They chose to not see the miracles for what they were and not see Jesus for who he is. They were too busy focused on trying to correct others. They didn't see what they needed to correct in their own lives. They were blind because they chose to be. Let's give Jesus the credit he deserves. So many times we see in the story that we keep, as we read through John, Jesus is getting criticized instead of credit. In our own lives, oftentimes we like to take the credit. And we know it's all about the grace of Jesus. So let's give Jesus the credit he deserves, like the blind man did. Fourth thing, let's do our part. I don't know if you noticed, but it's kind of, kind of a gross little piece in the story where Jesus used his saliva to mix with dirt. That's kind of nasty. But he did something physical. Why? He didn't have to. He didn't have to do anything physical. He could have just told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. But he chose to do something physical. Is there a subtle message there sometimes that maybe we have to do something physical? Well, certainly there's the part that we have to do our part because he told the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam. He had to go do his part. And then he was healed. 
maybe there's someone who's hearing this right now. Maybe this person has been hesitating, not wanting to do his or her part. Maybe it's a surgery, a medication, a change in medication, a change in lifestyle. Maybe it's something that you have to do to initiate some healing, maybe in a relationship. But in this story, we can see this man had to do his part. So let's do our part. And the fifth thing, let's stand firm for Christ, even when others strongly oppose us. Here's this blind man who didn't really realize who Jesus was, and yet he stood firm as the critics kept criticizing and kept criticizing not only Jesus, but this man, and even they even tried to criticize his parents. But this man stir, stood firm. He didn't even have a faith in the Lord because he didn't know Jesus was the Lord. Yet he stood firm for Christ. He did the right thing, even though others were strongly opposing. What a good example. So as Christ has opened our eyes, we once were blind, now we see. Let's stand firm for Christ, even when others strongly oppose us, even others in our family or at work or at school. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to come together in this different kind of way this morning, video live streaming. Thank you for allowing us to worship together. Thank you for allowing us to be a family and even connecting like this so many thousands of miles away, so many hours away. And God, thank you for your word. We just go through a small portion at a time and we always get something practical from it. Even action items that we have to do. God, we do want to do our part. We know you've done yours. Help us to do ours. Help us to give you the credit that you deserve. Help us to not be critical of others. Help us to follow your word to the best of our ability and please you and bring glory and honor to you. Thank you for this moment. And Lord, if there's anyone who needs to make a decision, may you move them by your Spirit to do that. God, I know that as I saw people walking into the room, recognized people, and as I talked to you about them and I thanked you for them, it brought joy to me as I saw them. And I know it brings joy to you that you see them. And how much more joy it would bring, Lord, if we all we do what it takes to change whatever we need to change in our lives to please you, to be more consistent, to demonstrate our faith and our faithfulness. God, we need those nudges and we need those little encouragements and motivations from each other. And God, we ask for that this morning, even now. In Jesus' name, amen.